I remember my professor telling us for for our video uh, journalism class if if you can get if you can get the person to cry then you've really hit gold. Not that you should like try and get someone to cry, but if you've had such an emotional interview and an emotional discussion with them that they've teared up, it's like that's the gold piece that you want to make sure that clip gets used in the video. <laughs> Welcome to Top of Mind. A show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. I think it's safe to say that marketing is one of the fastest moving industries out there. Don't believe me? Well, at the time of recording this, Clubhouse, Twitter fleets, and TikTok are all brand new channels that have become mainstream in the last six months. The marketers are already expected to have a mastery of. Layer on top of that, the dramatic changes happening in almost every industry, and you've got yourself a recipe for chaos. To help us understand the opportunity that exists within this chaos, I want to bring on a marketer who's got her toes in a whole bunch of interesting things. She's exposed to tons of direct-to-consumer brands through her role as content marketer at Octane AI. But she's also pushing the boundaries of the culture as the co-host of Gen Z D2C on Clubhouse. So I'm pleased to welcome today, Tina Donati. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Even just recognizing that your side side gig, the uh, project you do as a Gen Z, as the host of Gen Z D to C on Clubhouse, those three words didn't exist ten years ago. <laughs> no, no, they definitely didn't. And honestly, Gen Z marketing is a whole other beast in just like the D to C realm for sure. Well, exactly. So you've got like crazy overlap of, of very new ideas and everyone's trying to figure it out as they go. And so I'm really excited to dig in with you and hear how you've learned and what you've learned from some people who are really making a go of it. But before we get there, I do want to chat a little bit about content marketing because that's something that you and I both have in common. And it's always interesting to hear how other people got roped into it or chose to go into it. <laughs> Because I know you have a uh, master's degree in communication and journalism. So I was wondering if there were any specific moments that stand out to you in your decision to transition from journalism into marketing. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you say rope, roped into content marketing versus chose. For me, it was definitely a choice because I love everything to do with writing. So I knew that it was the career I wanted to pursue. But I've definitely have seen it happen both ways, just depending on what team you're working on and, and who's who's on the team that can write. But definitely, it was a choice for me 100%. For me, I pursued journalism and communications as a master's degree after studying sociology as a major and English lit and writing studies as a minor in university. And I just, I, I knew at that point that writing is what I wanted to do. I just wasn't sure where or how. During during the program, they really did a good job of balancing both journalism and communication. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand how interrelated the two fields really truly are. And having 
the ability to understand how both work and operate is very, very helpful depending on if you're going into journalism or communications or marketing. Just having that that sense of understanding is very impactful. But for me, I was taking both courses. I was doing broadcast journalism. I was doing written journalism. I was doing PR communications. And then I started dabbling into the marketing side of communications in the second semester. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with understanding how Facebook ads work, how to tell a story, copywriting, all of those things, video, storytelling, all of those things were just so interesting to me. And I fell in love with it. So as much as journalism is so interesting to get to understand people and hear directly from their stories in newsworthy ways, to me, I knew that my passions lied more on the marketing side. So that's why I decided to pursue it. I'm sure that in journalism, you kind of faced with like really boring stories sometimes and it's your job uh, to tease out like a human interest story or something that the reader can actually hook onto and, and want to finish it, not just kind of read facts. Can you can you give me an example of maybe a piece of journal a piece of writing that you've done in the past where at, at surface level it looked really boring but you were able to find that human story? Absolutely. And yeah, I think you hit the mark for why I actually didn't end up pursuing journalism in the first place was, you know, the stories to me just they didn't interest me as much as, you know, for me working in in the e-commerce space full time as a marketer, a content marketer, where I'm very passionate about shopping. I'm very passionate about e-commerce. So it just worked perfectly. But for me, yeah, I just wasn't super passionate about about the journalism uh, focus that that I would be taking if I were to pursue it as a career. I did a couple stories in in school for written journalism specifically. I would say one that would be probably a bit difficult for an everyday audience was very focused on theater. So I spoke to someone who actually ended up giving up an opportunity to go to Broadway in New York because she wanted to be with her be with her boyfriend, who's now her husband at the time, and they wanted to move to a small town and settle down. So, you know, for someone who's very interested in, in the arts and theater, they'd understand how big of an opportunity that was to say, you know, no to going to Broadway in New York to just kind of pursue a small town life. So I really had to sit there and and dig in with her to kind of reach those very emotional points for her of like what it really felt like to give up that opportunity and like how much she loves her husband to to have made that choice to go do that and what their life is like now. And I think that that's like a very essential skill that goes over to marketing as well as being able to really dig up those emotional points that people can connect with so that no matter what story you are telling, there is a way to make it relatable. Do you have any any questions or prompts or, or ways that you go about uncovering those emotional aspects when you're doing a, a piece like that? Yeah, I think for one, I really try to put myself in the person I'm interviewing's shoes. So, of course, it can be difficult to know what to ask someone if they've lived an experience that you have never lived yourself. So, you know, I've never had the opportunity to go to Broadway for sure. So, I think I've tried I try to put myself in their shoes to understand like what what was it that they would have been feeling and like even if it's taking that experience myself and saying what's something that i gave up in my life that was very difficult to do and and what did that feel like for me and i think that's kind of key is like understanding what those emotional points are yourself first so that you can then form questions that you know will help dig up those things and i think too like another thing is have your script absolutely but don't be afraid to go off of it so i always have questions prepared when i'm interviewing people but 
if they say something that's just like gold, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to elaborate on it. I'm going to ask them more follow-up questions to try and dig that out a little bit more because, you know, often at times, those are the quotes that are the best and most impactful quotes anyway. Yeah. Like those quotes where it makes your ears perk up and it's just like totally off the cuff, but <laughs> it works so perfectly. You're like that's going to be the headline or that's going to be the pull quote or something like that. Absolutely. I remember my professor telling us for for our video uh, journalism class, if if you can get if you can get the person to cry, then you've really hit gold. Not that you should like try and get someone to cry, but if you've had such an emotional interview and emotional discussion with them that they've teared up, it's like that's the gold piece that you want to make sure that clip gets used in the video. <laughs> now you find yourself interviewing people all the time on these channels. Do you get people to tears on Clubhouse very often? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've got someone to tears on Clubhouse. I mean, not that I can see at least. Maybe right, maybe yeah, they have, yeah. but I haven't been able to see it. No, no. All the all the Clubhouse discussions I have are fairly light. And, you know, be, because Clubhouse is really an educational platform, I, I feel like it's very good for people to learn from experts that are more advanced in things that they want to do. So for those situations, like I haven't had any like big emotional discussions they've really just been like understanding people's experiences that have led them to where they are today and you know there's of course there's emotions involved in that and in the things that you love and the things that you're passionate about and why you pursue them but i wouldn't say i wouldn't say any like crying goes on on clubhouse for me <laughs> well maybe we'll get there <laughs> maybe one day <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about what your the premise of your show is all about and why you think it works absolutely so gen z ddc is actually part of a larger umbrella called commerce club so Commerce Club is, you know, kind of this this club that was created by the co-founders of Octane AI, Matt Schlitt and Ben Parr. And they've hosted like tons and tons of shows. Like almost every single day, there's been like a show on their Commerce Club that have featured really amazing brands like Lola, Yumi, MVMT, you know, really like big name brands that they've got to speak to one-on-one -on -one and learn from their experiences. And even like getting to talk to partners from Shopify and Bold Commerce and Recharge and Lots of lots of just lots of really big industry leaders that have had tons and tons of experience in the industry. They've had like tons of shows where they're interviewing them, learning from them, and sharing those insights with other people. And you know, when this kind of started happening, Ben and Matt had reached out to my colleague Katie and I, and Katie's my co-host of of Gen Z DTC, and she they they had asked us if we'd be interested in doing a show and i think <laughs> i think matt and ben know that katie and i are both the ver very much the same type of person in a sense that we're down to do anything we're down to try anything like there's no embarrassment like we'll just go out and and do what whatever so yeah katie and i were like yeah you know why not let's do it let's connect with people that was that was our goal of of creating our show was just to connect with other marketers so we started talking and we'd listened to a lot of the shows that our co-founders host and we realized one thing with a lot of the shows was when it came to the Q&A portion of the show and someone would come up and they'd have a question, sometimes the people that were on the shows had kind of that bird's eye view of the company that they were working for, that they didn't always have the answer of what it meant to be in the nitty gritty part of like the marketing team or the operations team of that brand. So mm -hmm. that's where Katie and I decided there was an opportunity for us to connect with those marketers on the ground level of these leading brands to actually be able to get into the nitty gritty of those things. So that's what our show became about. So, you know, the title Gen Z D2C is because a lot of the people we're talking to are Gen Z marketers like ourselves, but 
absolutely we've spoken to millennials you know it's it's really not like dedicated to one age group specifically but it is the the goal of it is to talk to people that are on the ground level and and truly like what we say in our intro is you know the people that are getting shit done at these brands those are those are the conversations that we want to have and that's been that's definitely been like impactful for other people that that are on the same level to hear from them and and just for those listening who aren't familiar with the acronym d TC, it's direct to consumer. And so that would be any kind of brand that doesn't go through to traditional retail locations and you could just purchase a product straight from their website. But d- many DTC companies also do retail, but the main focus is building an audience and a loyal following that will come back and go right to your website and buy directly from you. So it's a really, it's not a new business model, but it's a business model that's built that's got a lot of traction recently and there's a lot of cool brands that are popping up. So I'm sure there's no shortage of people you want to have on your show, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been insane. You know, the e-commerce industry has just skyrocketed over the past year. With the pandemic, obviously a lot of people were, you know, turning to online shopping for the first time or more than usual, just even get like essential items like toilet paper, because I'm sure you remember you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when all the toilet paper was gone from shelves for some crazy reason. And there were brands that were selling toilet paper online. So people discovered like all these D2C and e-commerce brands where they could get their essentials just delivered right to their door. And I think people fell in love with that and the industry just boomed. I think I remember reading like it advanced five years ahead Mm. than it was supposed to. Yeah, I, I believe it. I, even for me, I there are buying decisions I make now that I would have otherwise just walked around the corner or like gotten in my car and gone to the grocery store to buy. And now I'm like buying deodorant and face wash online just to try it. Like, I don't know if there's a long-term thing that I'll keep going, but I'm open to that up. I'm open to that idea now. It's not like I have to go and take off the caps of the deodorants and smell them all in the, in the aisle of the grocery store. Like there's, (laughs) there, there are different solutions out there now. Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel the same way for sure. You know, I was that person who, if I had something in my mind that I needed, it was like, okay, I have to go get it right now. I have to drive to the grocery store or to the mall right now and get it. And I've I've lost that. And I think part of it was living without it for a while because here in Canada, we were in lockdown for for quite a bit longer than I think the US may have been. And so we had to live like without those places being open for a lot longer. And I just got used to discovering all these new brands online. And now I feel like I'm in this like rabbit hole where I just like want to try all these new brands. I want to keep discovering them. Like I kind of relate it to when people say like when you get your first tattoo, it's just like you get that first one and suddenly you have like 10 more on your body. It's the same way with like D2C and e-commerce shopping for me. It's like, you know, once I've got that taste of like discovering a very unique brand with a unique story that I'm interested in, it's like I want to find like 10 more of of brands that are like that. Tell me Tell me more about like the story that these brands are needing to build because that is a lot in a lot of the cases they're differentiator, especially mm-hmm. for commodity products like we're talking beauty, healthcare. These are things that there's thousands of competitors and and more popping up every day. Can you can you give me an example of maybe a D2C company who is doing something unique that a traditional retail brand would just never consider to do? Hmm. That's a really good question. So for me, 
when I say the story is is something that matters, that's actually something that I've learned through the Commerce Club Clubhouse conversations that I've been having with with Gen Z marketers. And it was a conversation that I had with Lily Sun, who does D2C and growth at Three Ships Beauty, and Rachel Cantor, who's a writer at Morning Brew. And we talked about like the importance of having this like unique story and unique brand voice and and why that's so important for reaching the Gen Z consumer. And, you know, one of the brands that got brought up was House of Wise by Amanda Getz. So this this brand has an incredible story that she's been so open about sharing, like not even just on her personal Twitter account, but on the website itself. If you go to the about page, it talks about, you know, the, her experience of going through a divorce, trying to be a marketer, raising three kids on her own and how those things were impacting her life. And she openly talks about, you know, so she tried CBD oil and how it helped her take control of her sex, her sleep and her life again. And she's very open about that. And like I said, like she's open about it on multiple channels. She talks about it on her Twitter all the time too. And that's a story that to us, when we were talking about it, we realized how impactful it was. And, and you know, I'm not even a mom and the the other people that were on the show that day weren't mothers either. But Amanda's story is something that like, just as a woman, we could relate to whether we had children or not, just that struggle of, you know, sometimes being on your own, trying, trying to be a marketer, trying to make it in the world and all of those things that go on in your life. And she did a really good job of just portraying it in a way that people could relate to. So she's like offered, she's like built this like community with her brand of like other, other mothers and other people that are going through difficult situations as well. So they can take control of their lives by helping sell like the CBD oil with House of Wise and and do that together as a community. So that's an example of like a brand that's doing a really good job of like telling such an impactful story that people can relate to. And I think now with e-commerce being as big as it is and with all the competition that you just mentioned that there is in in the realm, having those unique characteristics are going to be what makes your brand stand out and ultimately succeed. And I think it's important too to remember that some of these brands want to get big, but they don't need to be massive, massive, massive. Like they don't need to be as big as Old Spice. I keep going back to the deodorant example because it's on my mind, but like you don't need to be as big as Old Spice. You just need to have like a couple, like tens of thousands of customers. And if they come back time and time again, you can have enough margin on each sale to sustain and create a profitable business without needing to scale up production to cover the whole world. You could even just start with a region of of your kind of continent and then go from there. That's obviously easier said than done. But in her example, uh, the even the about page being about an individual and not like in most companies where the about page is about the company's culture, like who cares? It's about the person that you're buying from, right? And I think that's the difference between kind of a modern brand versus what, I don't know, a traditional, more retail brand would sound like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you make a good point about like the about page where, you know, typically you'll land on it and you'll be a lot of the time it'll say like, we sell like sustainable products, like we ship to blah, blah, blah. And like, it's not personal. There's nothing about it that makes me go like, wow, like I relate to this brand. I relate to this story. Another really good example is Osea Malibu. They have such an incredible story on their about page. And I was writing about them for for a recent blog that I did. And I just remember like, falling in love with the story and it was it went all the way back to 1921 their story of this brand and how it started with like the founder's great grandmother and in an accident that she had and how she would go swimming in the freezing ocean and she felt like the nutrients from the salt and the seaweed 
were part of the reason she was cured. And then she created these products using those nutrients and how it's just translated a hundred years into the future to this founder and her brand and her whole family's involved. And that story is like sticking with me. And I think it will stick with me for a very long time because it was just so impactful and so well done. And I think that's why it's so important for brands to really dig deep into like, what is their story? What do they stand behind? What's their mission? And just share that with people because what a lot of brands make the mistake of is trying to target, you know, absolutely every consumer. But you have to realize that what your product is and what your brand stands for shouldn't be for every consumer. You have to find who your community is and double down on that community and just make the experience very targeted and specific to them because that's going to drive way more engagement for you, way more repeat purchases, increase your AOV because those people will spend more money when they relate with your brand. So, you know, all of those things are so impactful for your brand success, which is why like I always say like don't don't be a brand for everyone, be a brand for someone and stick to that someone. That's super well said. And I think it's also important too to remember that having people who are kind of your your anti-customer is just as important as have, knowing very clearly who your customer is. Because there'll be people who will come and buy something from you, but then return it a week later because they weren't the right customer in the in the first place, but you they went ahead and did the purchase. And that's going to cost you in the long run if you have the wrong kind of people showing up. And so that's why it's very important to have that kind of direct contact with your customers and learn what they need so that you can make it all about them. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to know who your customers are. And I know that that can be a difficult step when you're starting a brand for the first time or you're in the beginning stages of your of your brand. It can be difficult to know exactly who your customers are and, and maybe who you thought you were going to target doesn't end up being the people that end up shopping with you. So you know all those factors need to be considered and you have to be able to pivot to to what's going to be successful for you. And and really just taking the time to learn who your customers are is essential as well because that's going to translate over to the strategy you use when you're emailing them or you're sending them text messages. Like just having like having real data on who your customers are and what they want from you is going to make your life easier in the long run to make sure that when you're engaging with them before, during, or after the purchase, it's in a way that's meaningful to them and, and tells them that you've been listening to their needs. Hmm. And now speaking of listening, let's dive into Tick Clubhouse because that's that's what <laughs> actually I guess you do a lot of the talking and question asking. <laughs> I've been on a couple, I've listened in on a couple, and I am still trying to wrap my head around how to effectively use that as a channel. Can you can you help us understand for those who maybe haven't used this this app? It's a audio only that I kind of been describing it as like almost like podcasts meet chat rooms where you've just got people who can jump in and you can listen to the two, three, four, five people who are like on the virtual stage who have access to unmute themselves and speak. But then you as an audience member can also put up your hand to request to be on the stage. And in your case, you have a premise, you have a theme, you bring on guests. Like it's 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 well defined, but I'm sure that the conversation goes in so many directions when you're having to try try to live moderate like that. Yeah, we definitely try to have a plan before every show. You know, seriously, like bless my colleague, Katie. She's the most organized person in the world. And I don't know what I would ever do without her, honestly. So like little shout out to her there for sure. But, you know, we definitely take time every week to prepare for every show on the Friday. So we try and schedule our guests like 
at least a week in advance, just because obviously people live busy lives. And, and if you if you ask them a day before, typically they're not going to be able to come. So we do try and stay on top of like scheduling people at least a week in advance. And then every Wednesday afternoon, Katie and I get together and we go through like, what's our topic for that show? Who are our guests? And then we list out all of our questions. And then we actually share those with our guests ahead of time. So they can like review them, let us know if there's something that they don't want to talk about or something that they want us to elaborate on more. And then that just helps us for being like super prepared for the show. And I think that's like another trait that Katie and I both share is like being over prepared for things. We're both very much like that. So, you know, we have that kind of every, every Wednesday. And honestly, like during our show, we are slacking each other the entire time. Like, do you want to take the next question? Okay. Let's cut this question earlier. Like, okay, let's skip a few questions. Let's you know, like, let's wrap this section up. Like we're always talking to each other, which is kind of an interesting part of like, you know, the, the live show going on, on, on clubhouse, because you know, for you and I talking right now, like if I make a mistake, you, like you said, we can cut it. We can start the sentence again. You you can't do that on Clubhouse. So mm-hmm. it's like a whole different world. It's like the way I always describe it to people is like podcasting and live radio together. And it's a very different thing to to tackle and to plan for. So yeah, like we're just constantly communicating with each other throughout the show and and we try and keep it very focused. And I think I think reaching out to our guests beforehand helps keep it focused because then they're aware of like where we're planning for the show to go and what what we want to tackle as topics. I think the only part that can get a little um, unfocused at times is when we start doing like the live Q&A where we bring audience members up. You know, sometimes if someone's in the audience and like they see like, oh, we're talking to like Lily Sun from from Three Ships Beauty, like even though we're talking about modern brands during that discussion, they could have a question that's about, you know, Lily's role at at Three Ships Beauty and what she does. And that's totally okay. You know, that's the point of Clubhouse. The point of Clubhouse is to build those communities and to engage with people and learn from them and be able to ask those questions. So, you know, even though the Q&A portion can get a little off topic at times, like, I think it's okay. And just, we just let it, we just let it, or we just run with it because, that's what we want. We want people to feel engaged enough that they want to ask a question. And that's where it's it's unique is that you can be part of the conversation. Can you describe what like your favorite room has been so far from from the shows that you host? Like what was what was the one where you ended it and then you were just like, wow, that was unique and like unlike <laughs> any other kind of show that I've ever done. Yeah, it's tough because I love all of the shows and I love all of the guests so much and I've learned so much from them. Like there was one that we focused specifically the entire conversation on content marketing and it was with a video marketer at, at Monster Energy Drinks and a director of marketing from Groomsman Suits and it was like I said just all about content, video content, written content, ads like and I loved that conversation because obviously content is my life. So it was very easy to engage with them. And I felt very passionate about that conversation. So that was definitely a really good one that I walked away from. I, I walked away from feeling like I had learned so much from from other people that were doing the same things as I was or doing other things. And I was very appreciative of of the time I got to learn from them too, which is another thing about Clubhouse is like just, just walking away with an, an appreciation, knowing that you've learned something new. You've got tactical information from these experts, which is amazing to like have that insight to basically pick their brain. A show though that I came out of with like a super good high of with, and I know Katie felt the same way, was 
the one that we've had that the one that we had with with Rachel Cantor from Morning Brew and Lily Sun from Three Ships Beauty. And I know that's the one like I kind of keep referencing a lot when I'm speaking with you today. And it's just because it was such a good conversation. I think I think both Katie and I related with with Rachel and Lily very well. Like they were super close to our age. You know, they were kind of dealing with the same experiences as we were with shopping D2C, being Gen Z consumers and even being like marketers and writers. And it was just like such a good conversation. And that one, we had over 200 people join us. And I remember like getting off the show and I went to Twitter and it was like, I had been tagged in so many tweets from people that were watching the show, like talking about how much they enjoyed it, saying like they loved all the brands that we were talking about in the show. And like that just like made me feel so good to say like, wow, like people are enjoying this. People are learning from it. And like they're they're learning from it so much in a way that they're taking it to Twitter and talking about it. And I remember like Nick Sharma was was tweeting how much he loves us. And like Webb Smith was like saying that he wanted to join the next one. And like all these like very big name people in the D2C world were like tweeting about us and tagging us. And like that just like gave me such an incredible feeling. Like I felt like I was on top of the world, like just being like, I can't believe like these amazing marketers and amazing people are like, you know, talking about us. Like that's incredible. So I would say like that show was definitely one I walked away from just like feeling like so I was like glowing after how did you get that many people on there because I've done a few and even with the promoting it it was very it was it was like 20 or something so to put that in perspective like to get 200 people listening to you is a is a really significant audience yeah you know it's tough to say because you know clubhouse is so new and like you said, like you you promote it on social media and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Like we've had shows that Katie and I've done that there's only like 30 people, 40 people there as well. So I, I think that part of this was I think both Lily and and Rachel are very connected in the e-commerce and DDC community themselves. So they obviously had helped promote it and I'm sure their followers saw it and wanted to like hear from them too. So I think that like that was definitely a big part of it. But I also think the topic of that day was something that everyone could relate to. So, you know, we literally just called it like modern brands with with Morning Brew and Three Ships Beauty. And the whole conversation was just like reaching Gen Z consumers, how to reach them and like the brands that we love and why we love them. So I think that like people just enjoyed tuning in to like hear about these new DDC, not new DDC brands, but other DDC brands that they've heard of or maybe haven't heard of and like why we love them. And I think that it was like a learning experience for a lot of people to hear directly from Gen Z consumers themselves. So yeah, I think that that's why that one ended up having a lot of people. And I will say too, the Commerce Club, uh, club on clubhouse does have like over 23,000 subscribers. They are one of the biggest clubs with with commerce on the platform. So us being like of course under the commerce club umbrella when we start a show, all of our like all of the subscribers do see it as well. So mm. you know what what Matt and Ben have built and have let Katie and I be a part of definitely helps cuz they've put so much thought and so much heart and soul into building their commerce club clubhouse. So you know that too definitely like translates over to our show. That's that's helpful. So having those promotional and bringing on guests that have audiences as well, but then obviously to having the prepared questions and the right angle and the right research beforehand allows you to keep the attention of that many people for, I don't know how long exactly yours are, but most people go on there for at least an hour. And that's that's a significant amount of content to have to, and ideas you need to kind of turn from idea into something actionable that the audience will enjoys listening to. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I will say it also depends on like what other shows are going on that day as well. So, yeah. you know, I know 
one of our shows last week, we had, I think, 30 people. And when we closed it, I noticed that there was another show in the same space going on that had like over 900 people. So, you know, it kind of depends on like what competition are you facing at the time that you're that you're trying to run your show as well. Definitely impacts it. I appreciate you going to detail there, Tina. It's like a, it's a brand new toy that everyone's trying to figure out. And just like anything, though, I think you have to put in your reps and you have to try stuff and be willing to have sessions that don't go as great. And it's not going to happen overnight. That growth happens over a lot of consistent efforts and learning from your mistakes as you go. Like I said, Ben and Matt have put a lot of work into growing their community there. So they actually send like a weekly newsletter out to all of their like, or it's not to like all 23,000 people, but you know, of that group of people that have scrapped, that have signed up to get the newsletter, they send a weekly newsletter out with like recaps from the shows and like transcripts and like blog posts. So they've like done a really good job of like nurturing the community that they've created as well. And I think that that's also been like an important reason why a lot of the shows under Commerce Club have been so successful. So from a content angle there, then kind of tying in your your love for the, the content marketing side of things, where do you think the opportunity is for Clubhouse to play into that to kind of complement existing efforts that a brand might be making? Yeah, that's a really great question. Something that I always say as a content marketer and a lot of other content marketers will say it too is reuse, recycle. You know, like Take your content, you know, if, you, if you've written like a 2000 word blog post, recycle it into social media posts, recycle it into speaking it into a microphone and turning into an audio file, you know, turn it into a video, into an inf- infographic. There are so many ways that you can recycle content and reuse it in ways that are just as impactful and will reach a whole new audience. So that's something that, you know, we've been experimenting with, with the Clubhouse shows is like, taking the things that we've been learning and the things that we've been discussing in them and and turning them into different things, like I said, like the blog posts and, and transcripts. So that's definitely one way. I think something that I would love to see become like available with with Clubhouse is while the shows are live. And I know that like that's like the vibe of like having that like live discussion with like people in your community is like a reason why it's so impactful. But if there was an easy way to like record those conversations, then that would be super helpful because then people could reuse that content to actually just, you know, hit two birds with one stone and have a live radio show, but then turn it into a podcast and then share it on Spotify or Apple podcasts later as well. So it's like they could keep getting the impact out of the hour long conversations that they've been having with these experts. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure tons of competition is already on the way to find try and fill these voids on the technical side, but then from the the actual execution side, there's tons of opportunities there to to even turn maybe that blog post you're mentioning into a clubhouse conversation. Like you can you can kind of reverse it as well. Rather than turning clubhouse into content, you can turn your content and just use clubhouse as a very low fidelity version of it. And just kind of like maybe maybe a live reading of a blog post could be something. I don't know if people would find that interesting, but worth trying, I guess. That's a good point. I have not thought about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one and put it in my back pocket for now. It's all yours. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, Tina, I got one more question before you before we wrap up. I would love to hear what you're kind of thinking about in terms of the long the long game of a career in content. As as someone who's kind of newer to the game, I'd love to hear how you are thinking about maintaining and developing skill sets, but then also being willing to kind of jump at opportunities as they come up. Are there any specific uh, what ways you think about your career as you're moving forward? 
yeah, I am a planner, like I said. So, you know, I definitely have my like next steps planned out in my mind. You know, for me being someone who who freelances on the side as well, and I do talk about freelance a lot on on Twitter. I think that a lot of people might think that my goal is to you know, one day become just like a full-time freelancer when I have like enough clientele built up, but that's actually not what I want. I, I do like freelancing on the side. It's it's great to expand my skills even further by getting to work with other clients, but it's not where I want to take my career. I, I love being fully 100% immersed with one company and like knowing them inside and out and having their story to share. So I know like you know, and like that's why I love Octane AI. It's it's a product that I stand behind, and I 100% believe it. I've seen the success of it, and it's so easy for me to tell the story for Octane AI because of that. And that's why I love you know being with one company full time because it's like I could say I know Octane AI almost like the back of my hand, and it's it's very easy then to like be able to share the stories for it. So you know, next steps for me, in my career right now. I am the only content marketer on my team, and we are growing so rapidly. So I'm sure you know one day there will be more content marketers, and I would love to manage others and and inspire other people that are starting out to to love content just as much as I do. But definitely, like down the road, I know that my career is in content, and I think it always will be because it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I'm good at. It feels natural. To me and it's something that I just love so much that I want to keep doing it. And I I really am inspired by people like Aaron Orendorf, who started own content, who was the editor-in-chief at Shopify. Now he's VP of marketing at Common Thread Collective. I look at Kristen LaFrance, she's another really big inspiration to me. Kaylee Moore is a huge one as well, you know, both both incredible writers and content marketers. So I look at all of these people and their careers and they kind of inspire me and I, I always am like keeping an eye on like what they're doing and the things they're learning and the things they're talking about. And I kind of try and like take those those learnings and those inspirations to morph my own path, if if that makes sense. I kind of like take bits and pieces from everyone and their success and the things they've done to say, okay, these are the things that I like that I want for my own path now. So definitely like, you know, one day director of content, leading a content team is is absolutely what I would love to do. And I just really want to inspire others to love content just as much as I do. Awesome. Yeah. Those people are all very, I, I, I know most of the people you mentioned and they're all very interesting people. And I agree. They, they've, they've, they're trailblazing a path for a lot of other people who are interested in that kind of work. But for those listening who want to see more of Tina's work, definitely go check her out on Twitter at Tina underscore Donati, D-O-N-A-T-I. And this is like the best place to hear about what she's working on. And there's a ton of stuff she's working on. So <laughs> definitely go check her out and say uh, say hi that you heard about her from here. Absolutely. And I, I always tell people to like connect with me on Twitter. And I've set up one-on-one virtual coffee chats with people all the time too. I I love building a community there and yeah, definitely connect with me and, and let's talk. Amazing. Thanks a lot, Tina. Thank you so much.